Have you ever noticed that some businesses and some business owners tout the fact that they're a Christian? I'm a Christian plumber. I'm a Christian electrician. I'm a, 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 a Christian salesman. Or this is a Christian business. And a lot of times they'll put this symbol, the ichthus, the earliest symbol of Christianity, one of, the, one of them, on their trucks or on their business cards. When we first moved to Kentucky, um, I needed to see an optometrist. And so a friend in church recommended a Christian optometrist. And so I went there and sure enough, on the business cards and statements you would get, there was a Bible verse at the bottom. And he was very kind and polite. And in fact, if you were a student at Asbury Theological Seminary, you got a 10% discount because you were a seminary student. And then one day when I needed to make my next appointment and get some glasses, I discovered that it, the business was up and gone. It was closed and he had moved. And as it turns out, he had gotten in trouble and gotten arrested for beating his wife. And as it turns out, he was absolutely cruel to his children. And yet every single invoice had uh, a verse from the Apostle Paul at the bottom of it. Um, when we moved into our first house, again, a friend from church, we needed a new furnace. And so a friend from church said, I know a Christian HVAC guy in Lexington, and you need to have this Christian guy do your furnace. And sure enough, he came out, he gave us an estimate, he seemed so kind and polite, and he installed the furnace, and it just didn't seem to work and work right. And he came out a, another time, and then a second time, and then a third time, and it just wasn't working right. And so I called uh, a company here in Nicholasville from a ref, uh, that someone in the school district, I was a janitor at the time, and they said, call this person. And so uh, Bill, uh, that's the first time I met Bill. He was the owner, he's still the owner of the company. And he, he uh, back then he called me Mr. Vanderpool, even though he's 20 years older than me. And he says, Mr. Vanderpool, I want you to come with me into the crawl space. And so I'm accompanied this guy, 20 years older than me. And I'm like, what is all this stuff on the floor? And he goes, well, that should be in your furnace, but that's not what I want to show you. <laughs> <laughs> and it just got worse from there. And he says to me, now, do you want me to fix it or do you want to call back the guy? And I said, no, 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 I don't want him to come back at all. He may love Jesus, but I need this furnace to work, <laughs> okay? So you've had these experiences, adults, right? And when you have those experiences, you think to yourself, that's not how it should be. If they have the fish on their business card or on their truck, they should be different. They should be, what are some things that you, th so for example, I'm wearing a, a polo shirt that has our church name on it. What if I were to go to Kohl's today to make an Amazon return and I were to yell at the lady behind the Kohl's counter and give her what for and <laughs> all the while having Generations Community Church on my polo. What do you think she would conclude? <laughs> okay, so I'm just curious, what are some adjectives or some words you've heard of Jesus? We, I'm in the gospels a lot in this church. You can't escape Jesus in Generations Community Church. So you know some things about him. So based on what you know about Jesus, if somebody says, I'm a Christian, I'm with him, what are some things that you might expect from those people? as Christian business owners or Christian whatever. What, honesty, what? 
<laughs> okay? Honesty is something. What are some other things you might expect? Kindness. Things done right. What are some other things you might expect? Gentleness and what? Kindness. So you're naming, you're naming the fruit of the Spirit. So what Paul says must be true, that those who are in Christ Jesus, when they have the Holy Spirit working in them, the outward expression of that is, in fact, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this differentness that we expect from Christians actually has a biblical word. It's a four-letter word, and it starts with H, and it's not the one that's the alternative to heaven. <laughs> okay, H-O-L-Y, holy. There's a word used in both the Old and New Testament to describe this differentness that you and I expect when it comes to people attached with God, people who are following Jesus Christ. They should be holy. Um, now, we don't like that word in America these days. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't like holiness. Americans are kind of like anti-holiness in some ways these days. And if you come from a holiness tradition, I apologize. <laughs> You're on the outs in this season in American life. Uh, one of the reasons for that is that in Christian communities that have emphasized holiness, it produced hypocrites. So people who, you know, holiness under the Lord, but they're mad and they're angry all the time and they're calling people names and they lack integrity and they do shoddy work. And then there's the people who cross all the T's and dot all the I's, like they're holy, but they're also holier than thou. And they've got the attitude that comes with all the right actions. And they, you know, look down on everyone else. And so Americans don't like hypocrisy and they don't like this holier than thou stuff. It's why sometimes you'll see this meme, I've seen it on cars in the form of a bumper sticker, Lord, save us from your followers. And that's what the bumper sticker means is they're not liking the hypocrites and holier than thou stuff. The second reason that we don't tend to value holiness in America anymore is that Americans love this thing called authenticity. Americans just want people to be real. And when they say real, they mean like acknowledging their brokenness, okay? Um, so one of the things that I can say to somebody if I'm a pastor that immediately puts them at ease, I don't have it all together. As soon as I say that, their shoulders drop, and they're like, oh, tell me more about your church. I, you know, right? <laughs> they just lean in in that moment because Americans love authenticity. And yet, and yet, we have this call to be holy. Um, in Leviticus chapter 11, uh, that's a whole other story, but I want to, God says this, for I am the Lord your God, you must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy, okay? And it comes up again in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Christ Jesus is revealed to the word. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God you, who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And then in Ephesians, and we didn't get to this part in our study of it, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, husbands, this means you love your wives just as Christ loved the church 
He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to prevent her t- uh, to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. So when we tend to think of this word holy or holiness, we tend to think of it as this list of do these things, don't do these things. We tend to think of it in terms of lists. But really, holy just means set apart. To use another word, holy means different. Different. The way that Jesus was different. Jesus was different. Jesus wasn't like the Pharisees. Jesus wasn't like the people caught in sin either. Jesus was different. He was holy with humility. He was love without condemnation. Jesus was all of those things, and yet Jesus spoke the truth. Jesus called out sin. Jesus was holy. Jesus was different, okay? And so today, I just want to say to you, holiness is not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. A holy person, a godly person, looks a lot like Jesus. (laughs) A holy person, a godly person, as it turns out, looks a lot like Jesus. Now, in the the letter of 1 John, um, again, this is written by John the Apostle, uh, John the Son of Thunder. Uh, He is pastorally looking over and looking out for several house churches in and around the city of Ephesus, and he's writing this letter. Um, and John, being the son of thunder that he is, uh, he, has, he talks about the people who left the churches, and you can hear a little bit of this thunder. So I just want to get you a, give you a sense of John, channel John the Apostle. Dear children, the last hour is here. You've already heard that the Antichrist is coming, and many such Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that the last hour has come. These people left our churches. They never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed. And when they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. Hashtag antichrists, (laughs) right? You can just feel the thunder coming out a little bit in that passage. So John, in this letter, there's a lot about light, living in the light, walking in the light, and there's a lot about love. And then faith and truth come up a lot in this letter. But, but light and love are two big themes and two big words in this letter that he writes. And we're going to be in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. I want to read the passage, and then we're going to walk through these verses, okay? This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, And there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, 
I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And right off the bat, you get into some of this dualism that John brings out in his many uh, letters and gospel and things that are in the New Testament, right? Light and darkness, light and darkness. Um, Light and darkness cannot peacefully coexist. One wins out, okay? And so uh, with John, John makes this claim, Jesus is the light of the world and his followers are children of light. And so we should walk in the light. And in verse six, he has this phrase, um, not practicing the truth. Isn't that an interesting phrase? You think of truth as something like a statement of reality. But John, the the practicing the truth, really, if we're translating it literally, is live the truth. So for John, there's an aspect of living the truth that is critical. And that's what you're doing when you're walking in the light. Truth isn't just a category or a concept. Truth is something you live out. It's something you do. Um, The earliest Christians believed this because they had creedal affirmations that they would say in their church services, and then they would evaluate your life and how you were living, and how you lived had to match what you believed. And they would actually have people appointed to follow you in this process of apprenticing in the way of Jesus. In verse 7, we're living in the light, we have fellowship, God cleanses us. Verse 8 Sorry, uh, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. So if we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves. If we say we've not sinned, we make God a liar. And apparently, even when we're walking in the light, uh, even when, in a sense, we're holy, even when we're righteous, that's not enough for God. So John draws this out in his letter and basically reminding us that Jesus is the only one who's truly enough, okay? So our our holiness doesn't measure up to that. So uh, what he's drawing out is that we have a problem with self-deception. We don't tend to see ourselves with clarity. In other words, we tend to think that we're better than we really are. We tend to fix blame on external things. Well, bad parenting, genetic predisposition, lack of opportunity, Americans are good at that. Um, and John would say to us, no, no, the problem is you as a sinner. <laughs> You're a sinner. That's your problem. Just acknowledge it. Come on, move on and acknowledge it. Just get with reality. Um, I love this story about Frederick the Great. So he was one of these Prussian rulers in the, what is it, 18, no, long, long before that. Um, and so Frederick the Great visited the Potsdam uh, prison, and he was asking the men in prison, why are you here? And, you know, man number one, oh, your majesty, you know, blah, 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 you know, the baker, and he did this, and, you know, and... Oh, your majesty, the system, the judge, you know, blah, blah, person after person after person. They were just innocent, and they were a victim of their parenting, circumstances, uh, uh, an unjust uh, system. And finally, the king gets to a man, and he says, like, why are you here? And the man says, oh, I'm here because I, I committed a crime. I'm guilty. I deserve to be here, your majesty. 
Immediately, he calls for the warden and he says, release this man right now before he corrupts all these innocent people <laughs> that are in prison. <laughs> okay? I love that story. Okay? Um, God forgives us because he is faithful to his promises and he's just. God is faithful and just, so he will do what is right. Um, verse 10 of chapter 2. Um, now we're going to go stick with, sorry, verse 10 of chapter 1. If we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Um, so if we say we've not sinned, it's this state of denial. When we insist we're not as bad as everyone out, bad as everyone else, we're calling God a liar. And remember, Americans love this bell curve. So Americans, when it comes to uh, the two outcomes of heaven and hell and how life works and how God works, they tend to think of this bell curve of goodness. And you have to be good enough to get into heaven. This is what most Americans think. This is not what the Bible teaches or what we believe. Okay, so Americans, so when I'm talking to Americans, they have this notion of being good enough and they do a comparison game and they'll bring up their sister-in-law and their neighbors and other people are just scoundrels in the family. And I'm not that bad. I'm not a murderer. I haven't, you know, so hopefully, and they'll use language of hope. Hopefully I'm good enough to make the cut, whatever the cut is. And that always in, leads to interesting conversations. I love having those conversations with people because I can tell them what the gospel, what the good news is. You don't have to be good enough. Like Jesus was good enough for you and this is how it works. But, but they, they believe this bell curve. And so if I can put up a, a set of categories of people from John's letter here, there are these groups of people and only one of the four groups are actual believers as John is mapping this out in this letter to these house churches around Ephesus. So one group of people are people who don't believe, but they have good works. They're doing good things. Another group of people have good works and they believe. There's another group of people who don't believe and they don't have any good works either. They got nothing going for them. Then there's people who believe, but there's no good works. And John would say the only group <laughs> that is the believer group, the only group that's the made alive in Jesus group is the group that has both good works and beliefs. Jesus bear this out. How do you know, uh, uh, you, you, how, how do you judge a tree? You judge a tree by its fruit. Um, uh, the apostle Paul bears this out. James, uh, show me faith and I'm gonna ask for works. You can't have faith without works, blah, blah, blah. So all of the followers of Jesus and in Jesus himself have this same kind of thing of this merging of works and faith together. So why is John telling us all this stuff? That's verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. So why is John telling us this stuff? So we won't sin. Be different. Be more than just broken. Be more than just sinful. But if you do sin, remember that you have an advocate. What does John call Jesus? Our advocate. The Holy Spirit is also called an advocate. And an advocate is someone who can bring about a good outcome for the accused. 
And so John is saying that for all of you who are in Christ Jesus, you've been cleansed. Your sin has been removed because of what Jesus Christ has done. So when you find yourself in sin again, remember that you have this advocate and you have this forgiveness that is open to you, okay? Um, I have a lot more to say, but I'm going to pause there. I'm going to put a stick in it. <laughs> I'm going to put a stick in it. John, in this first section of this letter, is wanting to spell out what does it look like if God is light, shouldn't his followers also be light? Jesus said, you are the light of the world, the salt of the earth, right? John's only hearkening back to what he heard his master Jesus teach and preach and live. And so John wants to make this connection for these people that what you believe and how you live need to line up. Now, the reality is none of us do that perfectly, do we? So that's where authenticity and confession come in. Um, if, uh, if we confess our sins, this is the verse 9. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay? What confession does is confession acknowledges reality. Confession acknowledges reality. I'm a sinner. I've sinned, right? You know this in relationships. When you've done something that has hurt the feelings of your wife or your husband or, or your child or a family member or a friend or a coworker, you've done something bad and they're hurt and they're mad at you. If you go to them and you try to do the whole, well, you don't, didn't understand and you weren't, you know, are they open to what you have to say? No. But if you come to them and you say, I've wronged you, here's what I did, this was wrong, they're like, oh, they see reality. <laughs> and all of a sudden, a door is open for the possibility of forgiveness and perhaps even reconciliation. God's no different in that sense, right? So God knows our lives. God knows our strengths, our weaknesses, our high points and low points. This is why we confess sin to God. It's why we confess sin to each other because we're simply acknowledging reality. And yet, even in the midst of that, God calls us to holiness. God calls us to right living and in, in loving people in a way that, to borrow my expression from earlier, is just different. You want to be different in a good way. So let me ask a couple of questions in light of this. And I don't have them up there, so I'm going to have to read them from my paper. Question number one. Do I need greater authenticity in my life right now? Or do I need more holiness in my life right now? What do I need more of? More authenticity or more holiness? Um, and then secondly, could someone rightly accuse me of being holy? I find it interesting that if you go back 50 or probably 100 years, and you read transcripts of Christian gatherings like outreach events or whatnot, it was common for someone introducing the speaker to say, I want to introduce you to Paul. And they would talk about Paul being a godly man. They, they actually used this phrase in American culture, and it was a way of, of basically saying, we recognize the fruit of the Spirit in this person's life. This person is walking in the light. This person reeks of Jesus. Are they perfect? Nope. 
but there's a quality where they're doing what Paul said when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, okay? So could someone rightly accuse me of being holy? So there's several ways that we can take this home. And the first is uh, being real means acknowledging, yes, that we're sinners too. Um, our acceptability with God isn't based on our performance. This is a trip up thing for Americans. And it's good news for Americans because Americans have performance, performance, performance shoved on them from social media and all these other places. My right standing with God isn't based on anything I bring to the table. That's so liberating. That's so freeing. In the 1990s, we had this thing called evangelism explosion. And on Thursday nights, teams of us would go to people's homes that had visited the church in the last three months. And one of the questions that we would ask people in their own living rooms was, if you were to die tonight and stand before God, the almighty judge of the universe, what would you say to him to let you into heaven? <laughs> and it was always fun and sometimes scary to listen to their the response to that question. Um, and so I want to help you out with that answer in a sense today. Um, when I see God face to face, God the judge, and it's judgment day, if God asks me any kind of questions like that, here's my plan. Hey, Jesus, um, you want to address that for me? <laughs> the Lord God Almighty heaven just asked me a question, Jesus. I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is. Hey, Jesus, you want to take that for me? Like, that's it right there. That's substitutionary atonement. That's grace. That's the gospel. And that's an amazingly freeing thing. Um, secondly, God expects holiness. And as it turns out, Americans do too. When they see that fish on something, they expect you should be different in the good ways, not in the bad ways. <laughs> they expect that you should have integrity, that your work should hold up, that you should bear the fruit of the Spirit as you interact with them. Uh, in the course of your business or what you're doing. And then lastly, God is God, which means that God gets to determine what sin is and what holiness is. We have our own opinions, all kinds of opinions, but God gets to tell us what holiness is and what righteousness is and what is sin and what is not. Um, and so along those lines, I want to encourage you and me to avoid the pitfalls that I named earlier. So we should avoid hypocrisy and avoid holier than thou. Americans don't care for either. <laughs> okay, so avoid hypocrisy, avoid holier than thou. The Jesus that we see in the Gospels is not someone that you could accuse of being a hypocrite. Isn't that interesting? So the Jesus that's presented in the Gospels is not someone that you and I could go, oh, total hypocrite there, that Jesus of Nazareth, oh, he preached love, but he didn't live up to it. <laughs> No, he lived what he preached. And then secondly, we can't, the Jesus we see in the Gospels, we can't accuse of having a holier-than-thou attitude. Isn't that interesting? The holiest person who ever lived, the holiest person who ever lived wasn't holier-than-thou. Weird. Weird. Brett McCracken puts it this way. He says, it is the differentness of the Gospel that changes lives and transforms the world. So what does living in the light look like? What does holiness look like? In a word, Jesus. <laughs> 
if I can make it as simple as I can. So if you've ever stressed about, I don't even know what it means to be holy, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What does it mean to live a life that, you know, is worthy of the calling, Jesus? <laughs> when God asks for holiness, what is he asking for? Jesus. Like, that's it. That's it right there. Compassion over judgment, forgiveness over condemnation, understanding over prejudice, selfless love for others. And as you rightly stated at the very beginning of the sermon in the interactive part, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when you see the fruit of the Spirit in each other's lives, I want you to do me a small favor. When you see people in your sphere, in your family, in this church family, living that differentness, embodying that differentness, would you simply say to them, you remind me of Jesus. You remind me of Jesus. That thing, the way that you just forgave that person, you remind me of Jesus. That should be woven into our vocabulary as we encourage one another to finish what uh, the race that's before us. So I want to pray for us. I'm going to ask our musicians to come up. We got some singing and announcements and whatnot. Father, thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for John. I'm looking forward to meeting John. Uh, I, uh, he's one of the people in the resurrected life. I will wait in line forever to see this guy. Uh, thank you that he loved well, shepherded well. Holy cow, taking care of your mom like the whole kit and caboodle. Father, thank you for this letter that we have in the New Testament, your word, your speaking through 1 John. Um, and so as you call us to holiness, as you call us to be different, help us. Help us to confess when we need to confess. Help us to surrender what we need to surrender. And help us to clothe ourselves with the virtues and other aspects of godly clothing that you list out in your word. So, Father, thank you for the gift of today, and I ask that you would help us to be more and more like Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen.